0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: I am Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast and a bit of a healthy focus on today's show, mental health and physical health. And in conversation with Chris Hale, he is the man behind Mind Force, bravely sharing his story about his attempt on his own life in back in 2020 as a result of decades of depression. He's now a man on a mission to help other men in the region and beyond deal with their own mental health and remove that stigma. We are marking World Menopause Day, chatting to author Abibola Alao. Dr Jafar, a leading oncologist, talking about new treatments in breast cancer. And the pink caravan is back. Where can you go for free breast screenings and what can you expect inside that mobile unit?
0: Healthy habits.
1: On afternoons with Helen Farmer. We are talking men's mental health this afternoon, specifically depression, which is increasingly common, unfortunately. According to the American Psychological Association, an estimated 9% of men in the US have had feelings of depression or anxiety every day. And 30.6% of men experience a period of depression during their lifetime. I'm so honoured to be joined now by Chris Hale. He is the founder of Mindforce and Just Reach Out, a new part of Mindforce that specialises in media and events. And he is a suicide survivor. After 40 years of struggling with severe depression, um, he now has the support of Dubai police. And it was a number of people that came together to help him save his life back in January 2020. And Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. I really do appreciate your time and your candor and and everything you're doing in the region really to help other men talk now before it gets to the stage that you found yourself back in back in 2020. How are you today? Cool.
2: I'm okay, Helen, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it um i'm uh, I'm actually just getting over a kidney infection, but oh, i'm, I'm I, that's why I couldn't be in the studio today but uh, I will do my i will do my best to uh, answer all your questions and help anyone that's actually listening and inform them about. What we're doing and what and how they can uh, seek help.
1: Thank you. Uh, if it's okay with you, I would like to start with you and perhaps a little bit with about that struggle with depression and you of know course. it going on for, for so long. Can you tell us a little bit about that time and and why you think that was you were struggling so much? Do we know anything about causes, Chris?
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's it, it's an interesting one because it goes right the way back to when I was a teenager. Um, I mean I won't go through the whole situation but what it was all about was the lack of understanding and help back in the sort of you know the 80s and the 90s when i was growing up and also starting work and so forth and almost and into the 2000s where you know the fact of the matter was is that it was all to do with experiences that i had as a as as a son um as as a husband um in the workplace um, And the fact of the matter was that it wasn't seen as something that you spoke about. You know, Mm -hmm. there was a stigma. There still is, but it was all hidden. And the only thing you ever thought about when people were, shall we say, suffering from depression or or mental illness was that they would be sent off to a hospital somewhere, especially Mm -hmm. that was the feeling in in the UK. And, you know, you didn't go and speak to your local GP. And the only people that you could really speak to was the Samaritans. And Mm -hmm. they were sort of the last... Uh, last hurrah if you like um, or perceived that so that's where it sort of came up and yeah that's how you know through the years of growing up and, and, and getting used to things like death in the family and, and, and all these other things would would cause me a lot of stress and, and, and depression was slowly getting worse and it was not knowing how to handle it handling it, especially when you're working and you're at a senior level mm-hmm. in a job and you can't talk about it in the workplace because you're a man, and you're a manager, or whatever. But also the fact that you hit it well, and and I hit it very well. You know, mm-hmm. you do it with addiction, and uh, you know that was uh, that, that, that there was substance and drink. And, and but the thing is, though, you almost become this actor.
1: Mm-hmm. You mask.
2: Yeah, basically yes. I mean, you know, going coming back to the UK after what happened in 2020, and you'll obviously ask me about 2020 and what happened, but. You know, people said to me, I, we didn't know. And I said, well, I didn't want you to know. And that's how it sort of progressed over here and got really bad. Mm-hmm. And you just, you can't function. And, you know, obviously we'll we'll talk about the different traits that you have with depression and mm-hmm. what people can recognise later on in the interview.
1: I think that's such an interesting point, Chris, that you'd become so accustomed to masking how you were really feeling. And I guess wearing different masks in different places, whether you're, you know, at, at home or in the workplace and what you, I'm presuming, weren't able to do is ever take that mask off and have a really honest discussion, whether it was with yourself or with someone else, because chances are a lot of other people were wearing that mask as well. And I, well, that's really true. I, I'm yeah. a firm believer that it's, 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 it is people like like you who have the bravery and the vulnerability um, to actually speak out that it really does empower people and particularly men um, to actually mm. check in with themselves. And do you know what? I'm not doing all right and, and what what do I do next and unfortunately, you know it did get to a stage with you as I said back in back in 2020 where you did take the decision to to take your own life how how did you get to that stage Chris and, and why did you feel well, like that was your only way out
2: well I, I arrived in Dubai in 2013 and um, I was really not in a good place and I was if you like escaping the uk because i I'd already gone through certain Episodes that were very close to me ending my life and 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 the only time you ever felt normal was when I closed the door and I got divorced After being obviously I was married for a few years and and I lost my marriage due to my mental illness And, and and you when you enter into that little sort of square in terms of you're in your own space Then you're really dark and and you know It wasn't so much that and I'll talk about you know what people do suffer from nowadays more than anything else but I was just I just wanted the pain to stop when I arrived in Dubai, as I said, and I, my background's media and publishing and I've done it for many years and, you know, I worked for a very successful publisher here, but I, I couldn't do the job and, 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 and I, I lost it very quickly because I just couldn't function. And it got to a stage where I started a business and I lost that and I hurt a lot of people and I ruined certain lives because I didn't want anyone to know why i was suffering and you know the the different traits that you have such as the fact you can't cope you can't make decisions you can't communicate and and you know you you i i I held my hands up and after what happened in 2020 and and it got to a stage where in 2019 i was incredibly ill and 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 i i i told somebody and the person that i'd know i broke the heart of the woman that i loved over here and and because I told, I I, I I left. We left each other, and, and I became homeless, and I became useless, and I was living rough. Um, I had nothing. I'd lost everything, and I was just this very ill man walking around thinking of suicide every minute of every day. And and luckily enough, I I, I came across a, a group called British Dads Dubai, and I saw these people posting, and so I posted something just saying, look, I, I want somewhere to live, and. and and somebody and his wife stepped in, and, and this guy who remained nameless, but he, he took me in for a couple of months. I, and I, was, I, I, I finally had someone around me. Mm-hmm. And even though I was very ill, um, I didn't want to, you know, it gave me some sort of comfort, if mm-hmm. you like. Because people around you that you trust become a, to- become a, a comfort blanket. Mm-hmm. And because you can't actually see your friends anymore, you stop doing what you like to do. Like, you know, I love playing golf and socializing, and I couldn't do any of that. And I was scared, effectively, and I was I was embarrassed, and I was I just felt terrible. And and so I in twenty twenty nineteen New Year's Eve, I spent that on my own, um, and also Christmas Day on my own in a in a bedsit. And uh, and and then on January the second, twenty twenty, I literally was speaking to a guy called Vic Villani, and and Vic, who's also been on your sh- on 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 Dubai Eye show when we when what happened happened, was that he realized something was wrong with me and I, I did a post which I said, hi dads, bye dads, which was aimed at them. And, and oh, I shut down gosh. all my communication and I was in complete control. You know, I was sober. I knew what I was doing. I'd practiced what I was doing and I knew what I was going to do to end my life because I felt the world would be better off without me and I would be better off without the pain. And I knew that I was leaving family, children, you know, etc. And he phoned the police and got through to Dubai police after sort of five or six times and said, you know, this is really serious. And, and, you know, they took it very seriously, thank God. And, um, you know, they they triangulated my phone and whatever. And I was at this stage going through what I was going through and, and... something you know at the end of the day the, the cry for help which was hi dads by dads was the fact that i wanted to be found because no one wants to die mm-hmm. and you know the, i've i when we talk about what happens with the company mind is that people are sending us messages of we want to do this but that's a cry for help and mm-hmm. so luckily enough they found me they broke into the bedsit i was in and i was non-responsive by all accounts and i don't obviously know this and they gave me cpr and brought me back, and, and you know, I, I ended up in a psychiatric hospital at uh, in uh, Rashid uh, Hospital, which was part of the DHA, mm. and I was looked after. And uh, the next day, I met certain police from CID who became very good friends. And you know, they came up to me and said, you know, three three little statements, which was, this is Dubai, this is your home, and we're here to look after you. And, and oh, you know, it was it was it was something that will always resonate with me and you know they made me sort of they informed my family and they 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 helped me afterwards finding somewhere to stay and put me up in a hotel because i had nothing and you know it's 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 a i, I literally had lost everything and, and it was no one else's fault apart from my own well but at the same time you know <laughs> you know you get to a stage where well you you, you I, I i opened up on social media afterwards and you know it's I, all i could say was sorry because i couldn't do any more than that because it was an illness and it is an illness
1: and i think and that is such a still such a sorry. source of confusion that it is you know mental illness mental disease you know you, you were not mm. you were not able to help yourself in that moment and my god what a blessing that you were able to reach out and, as you so beautifully put it, you know, have that cry for help to allow people to come to you. And, Chris, we've got lots of messages that I want to get to. So, do stay with us. We are in a conversation course. this afternoon with Chris Hale, bravely sharing what he went through and what that has led him to do now. As I said, with the support of Dubai Police and DHA, he's now the founder of Mind Force. And, on a personal mission to help any other men out there and women who are struggling with their mental health here in Dubai. So please don't hesitate to get in touch. If you've got any questions for Chris, you you want to find out any information about what he does, or want to share your story. This really is your platform. Um, this is for you and quite often by you, which is why we love hearing your real life stories. So please don't hesitate. You can, of course, be anonymous if you prefer on 4001. Even if it's just say, what do you think is contributing to this tragic increase in mental health issues in men. 4001, use your ARN Play app. And of course you've got the WhatsApp too. We are going for the text line next.
0: Healthy Habits.
1: On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Back in January 2020, Chris Hale took the Decision to attempt to take his own life, and it was through a number of people in Dubai Police that he is with us today, joining us on the line now. He is the founder of Mind Force and Just Reach Out, which is a new part of Mind Force that specialises in media and events. Chris, one thing that's really struck me, and having had a couple of minutes to reflect on that then, was just how eloquent you are now, how you've managed to find... The language to talk about what you went through and how you were feeling and I wondered if that's taken some time to, to get to that place
2: um, it, it didn't actually, well it, it doesn't it, it's got better because mm-hmm. you know I straight away after what happened I felt as though I had to open up because I think I'd realised that for so many years I hadn't been honest with myself or with others, I hadn't been you know I hadn't reached out for, for help and that's uh, You know, we have a hashtag uh, within Mind Forces, which is just reach out. Because, you know, the the whole process that I saw was that I hadn't done anything to help myself. And and I was just progressively getting worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it it is all about spotting it as early as you can. and, And, yeah, that's, you know, that's reason why I can talk openly about it. Because I feel as though if people can understand or hear me talk about it, And they might be able to do the same, and 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 that's what's happened.
1: It's huge. Um, I was going to go to the text line. We've had some really. Wonderful messages and also questions as well for you, Chris. Laura saying, what a difficult story and so worrying to think about how many people feel the same way. All the love, Chris, and we need to learn to read the signs. Mansour saying, major causes of deterioration of mental health, I think, are not knowing the purpose of life, material lifestyle, excessive and unrestricted use of social media. And Elle has got a question saying, I have a depressed male friend who thinks that depression and anxiety is a, quote, woman's problem and thus feels even worse about himself. Obviously, this is partly the depression talking, but would appreciate any groups or experts I can connect him with when he's ready. Do you feel like that's something that a lot of men might have a kind of misconception about that they're not entitled to have these feelings?
2: Um, yes, and it does have a lot to do with the environment that we're in, and you know the, the the fact that there are three sort of main areas on the environmental side which really affect men and women because you know there, there's there's and also children and 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 the the main one with the with guys is is you know the financial side because Absolutely. you're a, a husband a, a, a bill payer a, a, you know you you've you've got to be seen as that head of the family if you like and 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 that's sort of very old school but it is still relevant and 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 also over here and and also work you know work is a big factor um and you know things like um bereavement in the family really do have an effect on men for some reason or another more than it does for women in terms of how it builds up that sort of starting of mental illness and you know the imbalance which can be sort of an anxiety or a stress mm. but it is the sort of build up over months which can cause the depression becoming you know so extreme and and you know one in four of us uh, suffer from some form of mental health uh, or mental illness but only five percent actually reach clinical situations so we you know because that's what one thing that we're trying to do with you know alongside my business partner and i'll talk to you very briefly obviously soon about mindfulness but my business partner and i simon walker and people that we're working with as partners you know we want to cut it off at source Mm -hmm. and we want to get it where they don't actually then have to be going to a hospital and taking tablets, because that isn't always the case.
1: And what about Elle's message about groups or experts? Um, is that something that you'd be able to help with if this gentleman yeah, in particular would would, would feel yeah, ready I to mean, get in touch know, with you?
3: There
2: are there are men's groups all over the place. Um, I know there are people that I know personally that are starting up groups. Um, there are individuals that will help. Um there are, there, in the workplace, there, is, uh, there are confidential opportunities. If, you have, if you're working and have work insurance, you can get help straight away by mm-hmm. different means in that sense. But also, if you want to do it um, uh, outside of work, there is um, we can help. But there's also, there's also a, a hospital over here which specialises in mental illness called Alamal. And Alamal has an accident and emergency uh, department where you'll be assessed and you know also what we can do is if they talk to us at mindforce what we try to be is a facilitator mm-hmm. and what we try to do is when we talk to people about addiction which is simon's main strength and 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 this side of depression which is my main strength is that we've both been through it so we can actually uh, empathize with people pretty quickly and find them the right person because the big thing about anyone coming forward is they have to trust Absolutely. the person they're going to talk to Absolutely. who is ultimately going to help them. And, and that's a big, big factor. And, and, you know, I think when people have spoken to myself and, and Simon and other people in the past, because we've experienced it, mm-hmm. we have a, you know, we have a, 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 a we're, we're being very honest with them. And they can take it from us that we're not, you know, we're not just listening or just looking at our watch while they talk. We're actually working out Almost like a, a job interview, if you like. We're working out who the right people will mm. be for them. Because it has we'll to be a match.
1: And- I've I've been to therapy in the past and sat down in a room with someone and be like, I don't feel comfortable. I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna pay seven hundred euros to say I'm fine and then I'm gonna find someone else. Um, Chris, I want to find out more about Mindforce We're gonna be just exploring exactly um what Chris Hale is offering there and and why. Um, and of course going to your messages as well. Fatty saying, far too often I've heard people talking to young boys and saying stuff like, boys don't cry, don't act like such a girl. It seems to be seen as weak to talk about feelings. Plus, I guess it makes them appear appear vulnerable, which women are expected to be and men daren't be. It is messed up. Let us know how you are today. And if you do need help, please drop me a little line on 4001. I'd be very happy to send over the details of Mindforce.
0: Healthy Habits.
1: On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We've had a lot of messages and thank you. Thank you for getting in touch with your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, because joining us live on the line is Chris Hale back in January 2020. He tried to take his own life and thanks to a group of people, um, a Facebook community and of course the Dubai police and DHA where he was taken to Rashid Hospital. He is with us today and is on something of a mission to help other men who might find themselves, if not in that situation, but certainly unable to express how they feel about depression and other mental health issues. This is through Mind Force, And if you do want details of that um, organisation, please do reach out 4001. I will send it to you with no judgment, no name needed. Um, Chris, it's really interesting to hear people's perspective on this because I feel like we're getting and I'm really happy about this, we're, we're getting people getting in touch who do need some help or are now in a, in a place where they can acknowledge that they need help. Um, often anonymously message here saying, I bottle up my emotions, pretend I'm happy and content. I even go as far as to joke just to make it less obvious, but I'm starting to crack. Um, anonymous, please, I'm going to reply with um, with Chris's details. And we've also heard from... Um, Someone who's calling themselves annoyed and anonymous, saying my husband has recently been to doctors about his mental health. And due to recent circumstances and instances, he's now opened up to me and I believe him to have a mental health condition. The doctor has dismissed him, telling him he has a job, a relationship and a family. So he has no reason to have a mental health issue, despite everything he told him. Why isn't there more training in this area and insurance to cover help? Oh goodness! Wow. I'm want to. Yeah. I want to know what clinic it is, and go down do and have me, a word. Where do you want me to start? Where do you want me to start? <laughs> Chris, but is that for for a man to find the words to express how he's feeling, to reach out to a medical professional, and to be answered with this ignorance, for want of a better word? You're up against it here, sunshine. You're trying to undo an awful lot of societal work, and unfortunately, a lot of mistraining or complete lack of training. <sighs> how do you feel upon hearing a message such as that
2: well a message like that is is i would is very unusual and i'll say that honestly um you know the the one thing that if i sort of go through about you know when when we decided when i when i approached by police and and said to them that i i want to do something to help people because i i felt as though i had to give back
3: mm-hmm.
2: and 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 also the fact that you know the I just I, I wanted to leave what I was going through and go back into media and just forget about whatever happened. But I kept getting dragged back in, and so um, with with MindForce, um, it was initially you know it was an idea because mainly because of what I was going through, and I had nothing. Now, one thing over here is that there are there are two sides to these to to, to depression and mental illness, and one is with people that don't have the full cover or aren't working or have, have are lost in the system because, you know, there are people that, you know, are like that. And there are others that obviously are working and, and have insurance and have the cover. And we felt um, that it was, I, I, the more people that I met, the people that I, that were reaching out were people that had nothing. Mm. And so we wanted to sort of come up with an idea of, of, of addressing The fact that, you know, the UAE leadership, after COVID started addressing um, mental health and addiction, COVID had a
3: massive
2: pull in this because obviously people's lives were turned upside down. You know, parents had to become teachers, kids couldn't go to school, people lost their jobs and everything changed. And and there was no, no one was sort of being picked on. Everyone had to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you notice from, I know, well, I have noticed that before what happened to me, to after COVID, the amount of people and medical uh, practices and hospitals, individuals, groups that have come come out of the not out of the woodwork as such, but have started up because they probably dealing with it themselves, That's but right. are really wanting to make a difference. And, and we wanted to, with Mindfulness, to be at the forefront of facilitating this important social change, if you like. And what we wanted to be was the glue. Um, between individuals and the mental and mental health and addiction practitioners in the UAE. And an accessible one as well. Right
1: uh, I think a lot of people really struggle with the, I'm going to go and see a doctor. Oh, I'm yeah. going to go and see a therapist. And it feels like this kind of scary, unknown thing that other people do, even though so many more people should feel comfortable doing that. I just want to go to the phone line here. Um, yes, Chris, we've got a message here um, from AB talking about depression during COVID when his business hmm. suffered. Depression is
0: not easy. There's a lot of
3: stigma around it. The stigma itself is a pressure. If you are someone who's going through it right now or at the beginning of it, where you have started feeling a lot of doom and gloom, and I think it'll be worth your investment in of time to sort of build the habit of gratefulness. It really helped me during my depression where I was extremely grateful just being alive in this
0: planet.
1: I, I love this practice of... of, of gratitude and gratefulness. Chris, can I ask you now, what do you do to look after yourself and your mental health? And I presume Mindforce is actually helping you as it helps other people as well.
2: Well, yes. um, I mean, I got really carried away with the whole sort of what do I need to do to help out during 2020 while COVID was on, while everyone was really sort of not really knowing what to do. I felt as though I was getting my life back. And, And sort of 21, I really felt that I hadn't actually done anything to get myself better. So, you know, I saw some people and I still speak to people and and that's doctors and individuals that are trained in in helping you. And and again, you know, when I was talking about it earlier about the fact that you have to trust these people to open up and and you know, the one thing is is I I found that health and fitness really helped me. And you know, the one thing is you know, I can't I can't do as much sport as I want to do now that I'm much older, but I like to walk. I like to get my body and mind in in tune. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I meditate. Sounds weird that I... I mean, I wouldn't have given that a second thought beforehand. It's sort of, you know, to me, absolutely no way. But it does calm me down, and it does actually help me realign what I'm doing. I'm still getting better. I have my wobbles. Um, I deal with it, and my, my business partner and friends and people here, you know, they're always on me about that sort of thing and also if I go off the phone people say why are you going off the phone have you shut down again Um, but sometimes you just need a bit of a relaxing period and that's
1: what I
4: find works
1: for me and now you know what works for you and you've got the confidence to reach out if things aren't working which I think is a missing Hmm. piece for so many people now you are talking about this with us today and you're going to be on a panel on mental health at the Dubai Active Industry event Um, what are you going to be discussing there and who are you hoping to reach through it
4: well we're, t-
2: we're going to be discussing i'm i'm doing two uh, panels and one of them is aimed at the consumer and one of them aimed at business and we're looking at really what what's happening in the in the UAE and in the region to to sort of progress the help that people can get with mental health mental illness um, and also um, you know how it mix how 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 fitness or well-being of the body actually fits in with well if you're mind. it's really
1: and, annoying that, it's, that that's the case because i 've had this told to me for years oh you, and it's it's really annoying that, that you know that, hmm. that, that last time you know but the last thing you want to do is exercise, often that 's the first thing you should be doing <laughs> you know,
2: it really does work I, but the one thing I would say, Helen, is that is that it's got to be when you 're getting better and I mean this absolutely is you have to be incredibly selfish Mm -hmm. you really have to look after yourself and that's something i didn't do at the start because whether i got dragged along with i felt obligated to dubai police and dubai as a country because you know they made my life so much easier and and because you know people i i i can't speak highly enough of of dubai police you know they 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 changed they saved my life and, and you know they they are much they are so in tune with what we need to get help on. And people have to realise that there are so many ways that you can reach out. But the one thing that we have an issue with, and we are getting better on it, and the DHA and the Ministry of, 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 of Health in Abu Dhabi are, offering, are working on offering offering helplines, are making sure that people can be, can be looked after, whatever their situation. You know, you're, the law has changed. Um, you, you know, attempted suicide was a criminal offence. And it is no longer a criminal offence, and you know that's the progression that this that this this region, and especially the UAE in Dubai, has had. And, and you know we lead from the front, and we there are still, there is still a stigma, as as the guy says on the, on, his, on his phone call. But you know, as a, as 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 an individual, the one thing I will say to you, which is really, which is very difficult to take on, is that seventy four percent, and and I, and I found this out today that have. Some form of mental health uh, issues go undiagnosed. Don't talk about That's it. And you know there are. We can do so much more. and, and what we're trying to do with 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 mindforce and the and the partners and people that are all in this sector and as i say you know that's all the all the different hospitals medical practices individuals i'm not going to name them all because <laughs> you know they're all out there and we can help pass those details on absolutely and if
1: and if you do want mindforce can do, details you, know, you can it, do what it you can
2: really do. really keeping the Sorry.
1: Yeah, I just, I just want to squeeze in one last question Sorry. before you go because we're running out of time and I think this is a really valuable message saying, can you talk about how to help a loved one recognize the need to get help? There seems to be a complete denial of the need for therapy and I think this there's going to be lots of people listening today who sadly might be suffering from mental health issues themselves, but there's going to be an awful lot more who might recognise this in those well, that they love.
2: for them to talk to us, because the one thing is, is they can. And, and, and the big thing about, you know, the one major point is that if you recognise that somebody's changing their personality or their traits, you know, over a certain couple of weeks or months, do ask them if they're OK. There's no problem with asking you, are you all right? And, you know, that, that, there are certain areas that you'll find with, with, with what you'll see people getting worse with depression are oh, you know you've got no interest in anything your lack of energy fatigue you know you're irritable physical changes sleep issues you know your appetite your weight goes up and down concentration stops you don't go into work you're making excuses there are so many different ways that you can see somebody change and what we have to work as a community and also the one thing, very quickly, is the fact that we're so diverse here.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: that right. we're, there are so many different nationalities and, and so many different religions and so many different cultures that, it, you know, there is, the community has a major, major role to play, not just as individuals, but people like religious leaders and all that sort of thing. I mean, because I went to the Catholic Church when I was homeless and I'd never been in a church since I was 18 years old, apart from when I got married. And, and you know, the one thing is, is that if we can actually ask our person sitting next to us you know, three people a week make a phone call to someone. Loneliness with men is a very big issue. Mm-hmm. Is a very big issue. Because it's very difficult for men to make friends. And, you know... I remember when I first arrived here. I walked into a bar, put my money on the pool table, and started playing pool, and started talking to people because I, I felt as though that was the only way I could make friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not always, you like. And even when you correct.
1: have friends, you know, making sure you're having meaningful conversations with them. You know, I go out with my yes. with my mates, and I'm like, you know, and have the opportunity to offload. And I feel like a lot of men, even with their closest friends, don't feel like they can be to be really vulnerable. And that's what those people are are there for. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I really really do value your your openness your honesty your own vulnerability and you know and the the power you're you're getting through that and the power you're giving to other people as well we've had a lot of people asking for mind force details so um the your opportunity if you want to share the website and if anyone misses it, i can share I, it. what's the best I way of getting can, in touch with you
2: well you can get you can get in touch with us through the website which is www.mindforceuae.com um, we are uh, also on LinkedIn with Mindforce DXB profile page. I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Hale. Our numbers, my number is on the website. You can call me. I normally take sort of the calls and pass on. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we, 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 there are so many different ways. But also, um, you can go directly to a free phone number, which is on the Ministry of Health's website. I can't remember the number, but there is a new free phone number. I can give you will find after it. this. <laughs> um, but there are so many, you know, there are so many ways. And, and also just Alamal Hospital, um, you know, all the different hospitals that have all have A&E. You can go in and just say, I'm not well. Because one last thing I would say is that we can see somebody walking in or walking down the street with a black eye or you've broken a bone, but you can't see somebody walking down the road or walking to a hospital with mental illness and because it, it doesn't show up mm-hmm. and you know i want we we on we at mindful we don't want anyone to get to where i got to and we won't let that happen and no one else happen you know life is very important and the one thing is that this government the country radio you've got a lot to do with it, media and that's why we're opening other areas we can do so much more but we are doing so much more than we
1: were before absolutely and you're a huge part of that my goodness what What a powerful thing you've done over the last couple of years, and what a blessing you're with us today. Chris Hell, thank thank you you. so, so much. Really do appreciate it. And uh, if you do want Chris's details, don't hesitate to get in touch with me direct on 4001. I'd be happy to share that should you need them.
0: Healthy Habits on
1: Afternoons with Helen Farmer. It is World Menopause Day, and inviting to the studio this afternoon to tell her story and talk about the power of words is Abambola Alao, a lecturer and writer. Her book, Dear Toriola, Let's Talk About Perimenopause, explores perimenopause in a very creative way, a way that I'm keen to explore a little bit more. How are you this afternoon? Good afternoon, Helen. I'm fine, thank you. Good. Tell me about this book, because a lot of the literature we have around perimenopause and menopause is obviously very factual, quite dry, for want of a better (laughs) word. And... um, Bit of, a, bit of a how-to manual guide. Tell us about why you decided to, first of all, focus on perimenopause as a, as a vehicle, as a topic of writing.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I went through my own, um, you know, series of, uh, uh, you know, different um, issues with perimenopause. And um, it was a time in my life when uh, I was at the peak of my career, uh, like many women, you know, and um, I just found it a bit uh, difficult to deal with. Uh, And also because I didn't want um, some of the things being offered to me, you know, in in terms of HRT, I just didn't want so many people uh, thrive on it, but I didn't want it. So I was thinking there must be a way out. And I started research because I'm a researcher and um, I started doing my own research as to how can I, you know, um, take care of myself? How can I get through these issues? And um, there were so many books that I found, so many books. And you've just nailed it when you said, you know, some of those books. I'm not knocking, you know, the authors who spend their entire life writing about these things. But I just felt an average woman out there who wants to know how to take care of herself during this period, maybe would want something a bit, you know, um, personal, yes. interesting. Yes. And so I decided to publish my journal. Wow. The, 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 the book actually is, um, you know, consists of the different things I went because I, you know, I teach creative writing. On the first day of class, I tell my students, keep a journal. And so I do keep journals. Me
1: too. Yeah, Isn't that Oscar Wilde quote, yeah.
4: you know, keep a diary and one day it will keep you. Exactly. That was it. And I kept a journal. But then how do you publish a journal? I mean, there's a field called autoethnography. If you want to publish Uh, something like that, it will involve other people. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I looked for uh, a way to, you know, kind of write what I know without getting into trouble about, you know, other people. So I decided to use the epistolary style, which is... I've never heard this word before. Well, it's um, a form of writing that uses letters. So there are many epistolary uh, books that we have out there. They're fictional books. So I, I was looking at it and thinking, how do I do this? So I created two women. One was living in England. One was living in Af- uh, somewhere in Africa. And um, they were communicating. But within those letters, you will know what is perimenopause and how can you just get yourself uh, balanced, get mm-hmm. your body you know, into homeostasis. I think we heard so
1: much about, you know, the data and the studies and the yeah. numbers. And I think, you know, sometimes that can be incredibly powerful because it makes yeah. you understand. You know, we think about, you know, women lost to the workforce because of because exactly. of perimenopause. Yes. We think about, um, I mean, my goodness, you know, symptoms and all really valuable, useful information. But I feel like we often lose the human aspect yes. of that. And that to me is what I'm... And I was the same with pregnancy, all that kind of what to expect when you're expecting. Mm. I hated it, <laughs> which is why I started following people on social media and hearing, you know, people through their own lens about what they were going through because yeah. it felt much more relatable. It's actually why I started writing myself about parenthood because I I think a lot of writers, it was how I started to make sense of it in my own thoughts. Yes. You know, I, I write now to, sometimes it's private and is never shared. Sometimes it go on Instagram. Sometimes it's an article. Mm. But that's how I make sense of what's going on in, in my head. And did you find it very useful? Oh, Yes.
4: I found it very useful because when you keep a journal you're not writing for publishing you're not writing for anybody you're talking about what's happened today and how did I you know manage to do this and that mm-hmm. so it's very powerful and it helps because when I was writing the book I don't think I would have you know I, I don't think I would have had the uh, opportunity to tell the full story if I didn't keep a journal because I went through the journal, I'm thinking to myself, did I really go through this? That's because brain fog is real. <laughs> <laughs> <And> seriously, <laughs> you can't just rely on your memory. I was pulling these things out of the book, and it's it, it was delightful to for me to know that oh, I went through this and I came out of it, and that's the hope that I'm, you know, I, I want people to read that book and have the hope that whatever it is they're going through, they will come out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that That was the hope. Other people's stories gave me hope when I was searching. Well, it's it's interesting that you you talk about sharing, you know, your
1: journals in this letter style, because one of the books I'm reading right now is about, um, it's called Quilt on Fire, The Messy Magic of Midlife. And it's written by an <laughs> author called Christy Watson. And, and hers isn't, it's not fictionalized as such. It's her. It's her talking about everything she's been through from, like you're saying, you know, you're at the peak of your career, and sometimes you know something comes along and hits you like a truck. But you're, for this, for women in this age bracket, it is at the peak of your career. But you're also perhaps caring for children. You might be caring for parents in ailing yeah. in, in ailing health as well. Um, she was talking about everything from you know libido to to brain fog to being single in her 40s and 50s but so funny Mm. and that's what that's kind of what I've really connected with it's it's the human side exactly now I want to find out more a little bit about the research that you did and if you do have any questions do get in touch Avambola allows with us lecturer and writer her book Dear Toriola Let's Talk About Perimenopause is out now Um, and we'd love to hear your stories too Healthy habits on afternoons with Helen Farmer. Meeting the author now, and the book is called "Dear Toriola." Let's talk about perimenopause, and it is a narrative of two women's battles around the problems associated with perimenopause and how one woman overcame them to be healed, happy, and healthy. It's based on one woman's diaries, in fact, and she's in the studio now, Ambola Law is a lecturer and writer, and I'm. I hope you don't mind sharing. I mean, you have you have published it, so I hope you don't mind asking about what you went through because I feel like there's a huge amount of power in hearing people's stories and also what helped them when it comes to all sorts of different uh, medical stages and conditions. But, you know, putting perimenopause well and truly in the spotlight today. Can you explain how old you were and some of the things you experienced?
4: When it started, for me, I was in my early 40s and it was just the, um, you know, continuous battle with um, hot flushes and um, different times of the day. It wasn't just um, night or even. it just, you know, it looked like somebody just bathed me (laughs) with water and it would be dripping. And um, insomnia was the one I couldn't cope with. In fact, at some point I left work. I had to because I get into work and I'm like a zombie, just nodding enough and yawning, you know um it, it was bad and um then he graduated to you know just tiredness and then um arthritis
1: oh gosh <laughs> to throw a bit of arthritis in the mix really yeah
4: that was thrown in the mix and one by one I, I'm, I'm a fighter you know i I'm, i drum i, I i'm a drum i drum djembe when i do storytelling and i'm thinking how and do, how do you drum when you when you have arthritis it was So I said, I'm not having this. It was that determination to to just rise up and say to my body, you're not the one ruling me. It's almost like a horse and a rider thing, you know. I'm the rider, you're not. Oh, I, I had to look for ways out of these issues. And I found them.
1: You researched for years and years yes. and tried lots Five of different years. things. Tell yeah. us about what worked and also what didn't work, as you alluded to earlier. You know, yeah. H- HRT is incredibly successful for some yes. and doesn't suit others or isn't a yeah. preference yeah. of others. So yeah. what what things did did you find that resonated and worked?
4: I think for me, uh, going back to my roots, just embracing my, uh, my, my faith, that was where it started for me. I just um, knew that the human being is not just this body you see and um, being positive that it will get better you see when i woke in those days when i was going through these issues i'll wake up it's almost like you're waking up to worship <laughs> your symptoms you know i keep saying this is what i have this is how i feel and the body doesn't know the difference between true it just gives me what i was saying mm-hmm. so i thought no 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 you know so i, I prayed a lot and i began to look for, um, you know, just holistic ways. You know, um, in the morning, I'll do oil pulling. Uh, in, in, during the day, I, I went um, to look for, you know, herbs and um, I'll make smoothies, just, um, you know, tackling that um, issue of toxicity. Because in, in that book, I mentioned it as well, uh, you have internal toxins and you have external toxins. With the internal toxins, it's just the mind and the fear and I had, I found a way of, you know, just letting that go. And I found the body. my body was responding it to followed. the positive things that, that I was feeding it with so that it is now open. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, sometimes people will say, but I've tried eating carrot. I've tried. This is not working. <laughs> For me, I think when we allow the body to, to open up to positive thoughts, it, it will then open up to holistic things we're feeding it with. So those things really helped me. I was juicing, you know, just juicing raw things like celery. Uh, I was doing that and um, it started working for me because I was open to allow it to work.
1: I'm certainly not drawing any comparisons between the perimenopause and cancer. But when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, he did an awful lot of the things you're talking about. Mm. A lot of visualisation, a lot of positive thought. And this is a man, we were just talking about being from the northeast. This is a man who is like... At that point, late 60s, yeah. Northeastern, you know, post war <laughs> generation. Mm. And he was doing exactly that, doing his research. But I think that mindset was so crucial in yes. how he tackled. Treatment he was going through, but also kind of the recovery and getting up every day, being like, "I'm in charge here." Yes, feeling empowered that there are some things you can't control, but there are
4: certainly some things that, that you can. Yes, I was I was studying. I mean, being a researcher, I think it was a bit easy for me to look at uh, you know latest research in uh, about mind and the brain. Um, they may not be mainstream, but they they spoke to me because um, if I get up and say that I'm going to take my walk without having any panic without being tired, I find that that I I was able to do it. Mm -hmm. So there's power in what we create in our minds. And the story we tell ourselves. And the story we tell ourselves. And being a storyteller, I I think um, I found it easy as well to create those images. Before I sleep, I put the images I want in my mind. Mm. And I wake up to find out that it's actually how it is. And because I was doing that, I was also able to find more things that was helpful. You know, it's almost like when the student is ready, the teacher appears.
1: (laughs) So it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy of this. And how wonderful is that? Looking good and feeling great this afternoon. Um, Why do you think hearing other people's
4: stories can be really beneficial? It can be beneficial because when you see somebody who says to you, I went through this and I came out, that person is not like, um, you know, it's not a guru. Or you look at the person, she's looking, he or she is looking as ordinary as you are. Then you think, well, if they can do it, maybe if I also try it, maybe it'll work for me. Mm-hmm. So stories are powerful because they help us to create what I call hope. Hope is just what we need in this world we live in today. It you makes know. you feel
1: seen as well. Yes. We were speaking earlier to Chris Hale, who is a, now a mental health advocate. He tried to take his own life back in January 2020 and is now so kind of bravely and vulnerably telling his story. Mm. And you know the messages we were having from other men and indeed women in the region just saying, thank you for sharing this because it does take a certain type of person to stick their head up above the parapet and say i don't mind feeling vulnerable or yeah. a bit embarrassed for the good i mean in, in your case as a writer yeah. of your own mental health your own way of working through things but also as a way of connecting with other people and and helping them and for anyone that is in the in the in the trenches now with perimenopause what would you, what would you say to them in terms of i guess trying certain things that did work for you but also that mindset that people can have some control over
4: i would say try to get your body back to uh, you know to, to homeostasis it's very crucial if for example you have a woman who is having um you know hot flushes several times try to deal with that i remember i mean if you wake up several times in the night because you have to get the layers off because you're hot how, how do you sleep Oh, it's so it, it's automatic for insomnia to set in. So if if you find something to do to deal with certain issues, things like um, you know apple cider vinegar, I found it helpful mm-hmm. with hot flushes. You know, I, it, it helped to calm things down. And find people who work holistically, who can tell you, look, this is what you can do. Um, take these herbs, walk. I do a lot of walking. Walk, 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 it's free. You have the fresh air, but it helps. If you can also cut off certain things. You see the, the, the issue with the human body is that we're not all the same. No. For some people it's sugar. I mean when I cut off sugar the hot flushes just found their way off my life. Really? Just no, no dessert for me. I'm not interested. <laughs> it's I'd not rather, worth it. I'd rather have my sanity. <laughs> Thank you very much. So for some people, it could be anything. The whites, you know, or taking moderation. St- look at your, yourself and also keep journals. If you keep a journal, um, maybe for things like hot flushes, find out what was the trigger. These things have triggers.
1: Yeah, there will be a pattern in there, there somewhere. There
4: are. I found that when 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 the hot flushes come, if you're keeping a journal, find out was it somebody who made you angry or was it that you didn't take a walk for many days? If you write those things down, then you're getting to the root of it. They're, these things are not just there because they came to torment us. This is the time of our life that we're supposed to be enjoying.
1: Absolutely life. right. Absolutely. And I feel like that mindset is so, is so, so crucial and there's, you know, you get to your 40s and 50s. Unfortunately, you know, men get distinguished and women get diminished. And that's, <laughs> that shouldn't be the case because there are some incredible stories out there to be told. I'm so glad you are sharing yours. Tell us a little bit about how we can get hold of that book if we want to connect with your characters <laughs> and learn more about your story
4: as yes, well. Yes, um, on Amazon, it's there. You can do an instant download as an ebook. Or you can get the paper back if you're like me and you love just, me you know, living through the pages. So uh, it's on Amazon. It's easy to get. And um, I hope, People are blessed by it. Thank
1: you. <laughs> it is called Dear Toriola, and uh, you need to look for the author, Abbimbola Allow. If you want details of that book, send me a message and I'd be very happy to forward that on to you. Thank you so much. I know it's weird to say Happy World Menopause Day, but I feel <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got greetings cards, but we do have a fantastic book and certainly lots to talk about. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate your
0: time. Thank you very much, Ellen. Healthy Habits.
1: On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. It's October. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I ticked my mammogram off the to-do list yesterday and got to go back for an MRI. But my goodness, I'm so relieved to kind of be in the system. So incredibly grateful for health care and health insurance. Um, So please, my personal urge to you, and I say this as someone who I'm sure like many of you listening today have people in my life that have been affected by breast cancer in various stages and severity. So please don't hesitate to get in touch if you need some advice, if you need a bit of bit of hand-holding as well. And after half past three today, we are going to be talking about where you can go for free screenings here as well. Joining us now live on the line is Dr. Hassan Jafar, a consultant medical oncologist at Bajil Hospital in Sharjah. More than 25 years of experience and a member of the Emirates Oncology Society. Dr. Jafar, I'm sure you're very busy this month. How are you?
3: How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And good afternoon to you and to your audience.
1: Well, thank you for your time. Um, I really do appreciate it. I want to start off by asking about prevalence, to be truthful. You know, we hear an awful lot about breast cancer being the most common type of cancer seen around the UAE. And I wondered what kind of percentage of of cancers that does make up and if you in your career have seen a rise in this.
3: Yeah, you know that uh, the population of United Arab Emirates has been increased and the recent data is around 10 million uh, the population of United Arab Emirates and this is why the number of breast cancer also increase with the with the population with the number of population. Mm. We have around uh, 4,800 in 2018 uh, reported as cancer cases among male and female and we see that a quarter of those type of cancer are from breast cancer. Around uh, one third of all female uh, cancer are from breast so it is very frequently.
1: We've seen and you know thank goodness we have seen a huge rise in the numbers of screening because of you know awareness months such as such as october and i wondered if there's any way of separating out the fact i guess dr jaffer you know are we seeing a rise in breast cancer cases because breast you know because cancer is on the rise or is it a case of discovering detection because of the screenings is there any way of kind of unpicking those
3: I think we can learn this from what happened in, in the Western country when they start screening, and then we see, we saw a, a, a sharp rise in the number of the population and then went down. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually when you do screening, you detect an early, sometimes a pre-cancerous condition or very early stage that needs probably more time to, to appear, and this is why you see a rise uh, uh, in, in that. So whenever you have a screening, you see the number of cases increase, but then it, it goes down. The importance of screening that you detect those tumours in in very early conditions, sometimes in a pre-cancerous condition, that the treatment can be de-escalated and it will be uh, the cure rate of all those patients will be very high.
1: Now, we're talking about, you know, when we hear it time and time again, and I hope we're not saying it so much that it loses meaning and impact, but... Early detection saves lives. Can you explain that from an oncology point of view in terms of the interventions that you can do as a doctor and, you know, just the impact it can have on the the depth of treatment, the length of treatment and, of course, survival rates as well?
3: Yeah, I think the early detection is is very important because it impacts the survival of of those patients. Usually when you detect uh, a precancerous condition, this is a precancerous before changing the behavior of the tumor and having the full uh, 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 features of cancer the cure rate is, is almost 100%. But if you leave this to change into cancer, then other modality of treatment has to be involved, sometimes hormonal and chemotherapy, while precancerous is only surgery, and plus-minus radiation depends on the type of surgery. While if you have a cancerous condition and you detect it again in early stage, like stage 1, before you feel it or before it causes symptoms, also the cure rate it can reach sometimes between 90 to 95%. Uh, While if this uh, uh, left till you feel it or causing symptoms like skin changes or nipple retraction or other symptoms, uh, then uh, depend on the stage of that disease. Mm-hmm. The, the survival, it, 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 it goes down. Uh, and, and on the other hand, you have to have probably escalate the treatment that need probably more aggressive treatment, more toxicity, in order to compensate for the later stage that you discover the tumor. And if you left it to stage four, then uh, cure from that disease is not but then you treat it like a chronic disease, and the patient has to be on some kind of treatment for his uh, for her life.
1: Uh, Dr. Shafar, we're going to keep you with us. I want to find out about exactly that treatment options you know what are um, available what products are available to us here in the UAE and I'd love to hear some of the stories as well we're also going to be hearing from one caller who's been in touch Jonathan who's been through breast cancer himself that's coming
0: up next healthy habits
1: on afternoons with Helen Farmer now that we're joined by one of the leading oncologists in the region Dr Hassan Jafar is consultant medical oncologist at Bajil Hospital in more than 25 years of experience also a member of the Emirates Oncology Society so if you've got any questions for him and they can of course be anonymous if you prefer do reach out it is 04871 04871-5500. that is the WhatsApp you've got the ARN play app and 4001 we're also very much able to take your calls too and Dr Jafar we heard um, Jonathan go Scott in touch earlier
3: so my question is as you know one of the few men who have
2: um, had breast cancer and have gone through a double mastectomy I'm finding it very difficult to rebuild the, uh, the muscle underneath. Um, I find that the more that I exercise, the muscle doesn't still grow, but the scar tissue seems to just protrude even more. So I'm wondering if there's you know, any kind of information or advice that you can give on, on rebuilding after a double mastectomy, um, especially for a male, which is very different to a woman.
1: Thank you, Jonathan, for getting in touch and highlighting something that I think is often overlooked, that absolutely men can get breast cancer too. um, Dr Jafar, have you heard of um, anyone else struggling with this issue, same as Jonathan?
3: Yeah, just um, we know that uh, male breast cancer, uh, one for each hundred uh, female breast cancer. So we see uh, uh, male breast cancer, but it is much less frequently than female. And usually when surgery done, uh, we re- usually remove the breast tissue. We don't go and excise the muscles unless, unless the disease is locally advanced, invading the muscles. So then you have to shave the tumor and go down to remove and get uh, a negative margin in order to remove the tumor 100%. So this may leave uh, some disfigurement, but always there is a, a reconstruction s- surgeries that can uh, a, a reconstruct the area, and we do it for female as we do it for male. For Usually for male, is much less frequently because not all, all, all uh, patients, we go down to the muscles. So if it happens, sometimes they go and uh, uh, reshape it, uh, taking uh, muscles from the back, uh, shifting it to the anterior to, to rebuild and to reshape the area there.
1: We've also been in touch in the past, and Jonathan, I'll send you her details of a fantastic physiotherapist who deals specifically with breast cancer um, sufferers and survivors, um, because exactly that, thinking about muscle tension, about the way your body is, you know, growing and recovering following surgery. So I will find her details for you, Jonathan, and send it over, because I think this is something that's actually really very commonly overlooked. You know, you think you you have your operation, the tumour is gone, um, but actually you've got so much more in the the road to recovery in terms of full mobility and and function of the body. So, um, Jonathan, I will find that for you.
3: Adding to this uh, as well, sometimes they receive radiotherapy if it is locally diseased and this will affect also the elasticity of the muscles and need time to be uh, more softer. So it will Mm -hmm. be hard. So this need more physiotherapy and uh, time in
1: order to reshape. And I've also just thought of a fantastic expert who we've spoken to on the show, and I can't remember her name, but I will look in my diary, who does a lot with scar scar tissue release, um, which whether it is, you know, mastectomy or, oh, you know, my goodness, like all sorts of things, you know, C-section scars, or if you've had an injury, a lot of work that can be done with working with that scar and the scar tissue. Can I talk to you about treatment, um, Dr. Jafar? You know, we've seen... A huge, thank goodness, um, advancement um, in the technologies, the medicines um, that are available to breast cancer um, sufferers. Can you tell us a little bit about the latest that perhaps we we shouldn't be, should be knowing about, especially here in the in the, you know the UAE?
3: Yeah, I mean there are a lot of improvement in the management of breast cancer. We used to use breast cancer as one disease uh, entity. Nowadays, uh, we dissect this uh, disease into three main different uh, uh, entity those with HER2 positive those with hormonal positive Mm -hmm. or those with triple negative and the approach of this is completely different so we are treating breast cancer as a group of diseases uh, nowadays and each drug sometimes it may be suitable for a few patients not all the patients so this is why sometimes uh, people, they announce about certain drugs, but it may not be useful for all patients. There are certain indications depend on the feature of the tumor. So whenever we take a biopsy, we take the full features of the cancer, and this is why we try to tailor the treatment according to that uh, 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 patient. So sometimes you see like five patients and treat every patient is treated differently than the others. And this is why sometimes you have to discuss and explain to the patient uh, properly why they are taking this medication uh, and not other medication. So there are a lot of uh, uh, drugs which is probably now, uh, uh, apart from the chemotherapy, which we use chemotherapy nowadays, more uh, targeted treatments like in the immunotherapy or certain uh, drug conjugate that go to the tumor directly according to a certain mark- on that uh, disease, uh, uh, there are anti-HER2 treatment. There are a lot of improvement in, in the efficacy of that treatment and the control of this. Addition of the hormonal therapy, there are many modality of hormonal treatment, and those for stage 4 disease, they have even uh, boosted this with another like CDK4/6 inhibitors, which also impacted on the survival of those patients. So there are a lot of modality of treatment, a lot of medications uh, uh, coming every day, and this improve uh, the survival of those patients. And usually with the new medication uh, uh, early. Uh, They started with the metastatic disease, and whenever we have gained enough information about this, we move move them into the early disease where we can cure uh, patients. Many of these new modalities of treatment has been moved to the early disease in order to improve the survival of those patients. But usually the new medication, most of the time, coming for the metastatic before we have enough data and research to move it early.
1: Well, thank you for sharing with us. It's it's really encouraging to hear from people who are there on, on the front line, um, and to hear that so much is happening behind the scenes as well to really help people's chance of survival. But to say it again for the people in the back, early detection does save lives, Doctor. Far. Yeah. Thank you so I much. I just want to tell me. I yes.
3: just want to mention a, a story of patients. Uh, uh, I think early detection, as you mentioned, and uh, there there will be no reason to delay the the the, the sequence, the yearly evaluation of screening, and uh, uh, whatever happening, even for pregnant ladies, sometimes if she noticed something in her breast, this does not mean that she should delay this till she gets delivered. I have few patients who were pregnant during pregnancy, they felt a lesion in their breast. We biopsy, we do ultrasound. There are many modalities that can affect, not affect uh, uh, the fetus. And we did a biopsy, we found the tumor. We started treating even chemotherapy, usually after uh, uh, the first gestation, I mean after 20 weeks of gestation uh, you can give whatever type of chemotherapy and then she delivered and she received the treatment when she finished the treatment uh, her kids was uh, uh child there was one year uh, wow. of age and she's cured and she's uh, supporting all the other patients trying to do the early detection and uh, also to seek the medical advice at any time so you should not delay it for any reason whether she's pregnant she's sick she's busy with other people i think uh, early detection and seeking medical advice are very important in
1: cancer patients. well said indeed thank you so so much sir really do appreciate your time especially during such a busy month and i'll get back and help save some lives dr jafar speaking to us from virgil hospital
0: healthy habits
1: on afternoons with helen farmer We have just been in conversation there with leading oncologist Dr. Hassan Jafar, and talking about the importance of early detection. And I know we keep talking about it and it's because it is for very good reason. It does save lives. And I went for my screening yesterday, um, went to King's College Hospital in Dubai. I shared it on my Instagram because that's the world we're living in now. But honestly, if that encourages even one person to go and get screened and demystifies the process, because I think that is a really big barrier to an awful lot of women and men, is what happens in a screening. So if you want to check that out, it's just on my Instagram, which is underscore Helen Farmer underscore. Um, And now we're giving you the chance to understand a little bit more about what does happen in a screening, but crucially, the great work that Pink Caravan is doing to offer free screenings across the UAE. Hannah Gottby joining us now from Pink Caravan's mobile clinic, mammography, I hope I'm saying that right, technologist. Hannah, how are you?
5: I'm fine, Helen, how are you? I'm very pleased that I'm online today with you. Well, I'm thrilled you are, especially given how busy you are at the
1: moment. Now, I, I did post a story yesterday saying, I'm 40 now, I'm having my first mammogram, any questions, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the number of women that got in touch with me on my Instagram DM saying, is it sore, does it hurt? I've heard mammograms hurt. And I, that that's that I think is a really big fear for a lot of people, a real fear and i can only speak to my experience um and i didn't find it painful i had two children <laughs> I parent two children i know pain um but i for me yes discomfort a bit of a bit of squeezing and manipulation but uh, but certainly not painful is that something that a lot of people come to you worried about as
5: well yes actually helen this is one of the major uh, questions that uh, um all the women are asking me is it painful I'm just uh, trying to explain for her what's exactly going to happen during the examination and I'm explaining why we are putting this compression. Actually, this compression, it will spread out the tissues and the doctor can see the images more clear. So um, we might all know that um, the breast is just uh, have a very heavy tissues that build one above the other. Mm-hmm. So with the compression, we need to spread out these tissues. so. If there is, uh, God forbid, anything bad, it will just come up and it will be uh, very clear for the doctor to uh, demonstrate. Well explained. Thank you. And I I think the other
1: barrier for a lot of women and indeed men, we just heard from Jonathan, who had a double mastectomy, um, is the embarrassment factor. And I know, I know it's not anyone's dream to, you know, whip your top off in front of a stranger. Maybe it is your dream, if it is, good for you. But, you know, this is something that you do day in, day out. You have quite literally seen it all. And no embarrassment
5: on your part, I'm guessing, Hannah. For sure, no embarrassment at all. This is to uh, get ourselves um, a better level of health, wellness mm-hmm. for all women and UAE community. Let's talk a little bit about Pink Caravan.
1: Um, For anyone who's not familiar with the concept, can you explain a little bit more and how long it's been running in the region?
5: Sure. Uh, Pink Caravan is uh, a pan-UAE breast cancer initiative that falls under uh, Friends of Cancer Patients' umbrella, which is called KASHF, for early detection of cancer. And it aims to raise the awareness around breast cancer early detection and screening methods. Actually, the this initiative uh, is under patronage of uh, Her Highness Sheikh Juhayr bint Mohammed Al Qasimi, and it was launched in 2011. Can I ask about what
1: happens on the day? You're talking there about screenings, but I guess logistics, the paperwork. If anyone is coming along to a screening, what do they need to bring with them to to be screened in
5: in a pink caravan mobile unit. Actually, uh, only the MS ID is requested when they are just uh, come to the um, mobile clinic. Mm-hmm. Only the MS ID, nothing more. That's incredible. And in terms of screenings, I know
1: you were at Dubai Frame over the weekend. You've been at Le Mer. Um, where is coming up on the calendar that people could come along and indeed have a free screening with Pink Caravan?
5: Uh, during October, for sure we' having uh, private activation and public activation. Our next public activation um, at the weekend it will be at tro cafe and we will be um, offering both services the um, x ray screening, which is called the mammogram and the clinical breast examination. It will be on twenty third from ten a m to four p m Now
1: you are really active um, on instagram and of course sharing um, information about where you are. So it's, it's The Pink Caravan on Instagram. If anyone wants the details, by all means, drop me a little message on four zero zero, and I can send the link. But I guess a couple of other questions about the screenings, Anna. Um, I just turned 40 this year, so yesterday was my first mammogram. For patients who are perhaps younger, um, what options are available to them to to be checked?
5: All right. At The Pink Caravan mobile clinics, we have two types of screening that we are offering to the public. The first one is for the age group, 20 years till 39 years. This will be the clinical breast examination. It will be a manual examination with a physician. And the second screening will be the x-ray screening, which is called the mammogram for uh, the ladies uh, aged 40 and above.
1: So if anyone wants to get in touch, by all means, reach out. It's the Pink Caravan, as I said, on Instagram. Hannah, thank you so much. Um, I think you guys just do the most... Incredible work because I do think, that, as I said, there are barriers of perhaps embarrassment. There might be embarrassment, you know, embarrassment or fear and cost. You know, it's it's a it's a unfortunately a very real barrier for people getting the screening that they might need. So the fact that you're offering these for free, I think, is just incredible. Um, Thank you for all your amazing work that you do. I'm going to let you get back to that mobile unit touring the UAE and keep up the amazing work. Hannah, thank you. Really do appreciate your time. If you do want the details of where the pink caravan is going to be, that medical mobile clinic helping with the early detection of breast cancer with free screenings, drop me a message 4001. I'd be very happy to send that schedule over your way so we can help as many people as possible get that early detection and prevention. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out and you can listen to me live on Dubai I 103.8 Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m.